everybody. Welcome to Rachel Painting's podcast and the series that we are in at the moment is What is Language Coaching? And I'm extremely, extremely happy to announce and introduce today a gentleman that I actually met last November in Romania and very, very interested in his persona and his experience and his background. So may I introduce Philip Newman, who has been a language educator for the past nearly 20 years. So hello, Philip, how are you? Hello, Rachel. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. And you? I'm very well, yes. I think we've both, we both shared that it's raining where we both are today, so we're, we're bringing the sunshine with this podcast to the world. <laughs> so hopefully, Yes, hopefully. absolutely. <laughs> Philip, tell us a little bit about your background and your experience. Okay, so my background, I think, is quite diverse, but I expect everybody's background is quite diverse. Um, I come from quite a religious family, and I say that um, as a point of importance because I've grown up with the idea of pastoral care, and I think that's important um, has had an influence um, in my teaching in a way that that caring, empathic idea, the interaction um, between teachers and students, I think it's something I've grown up with. So I, I do think that's, that has a key importance. Um, I, I, my main studies were in anthropology, which I absolutely loved, and that also um, has a big influence on the way I look at the world and the world of teaching, and we can talk more about that. Um, I worked quite extensively in the care industry, so working with um, mentally handicapped people with learning disabilities, disabilities and mental health problems. So I think that's also given me um, a lot of the empathic side to my teaching. Um, it's also something that I do think is quite important is that I have been through counselling myself. Um, I had a time in my life when my life was spiralling out of control. Um, so I, I did use the services of a counsellor. And I think I learned a lot through that. And, and the counselling, counsellee, counsellor relationship is quite fascinating. And I think I took from that experience um, in a way that could also help my teaching. And, yes, and then I've been in teaching for 20 years. So yeah. I think all those different diverse areas of my life in the past have had um, quite an influence on my teaching. But I have also worked not just in care industry, but in um, a wide range of industry work and shop work and different jobs. Uh, and I think in terms of business English, that also gives you quite a solid background in knowing where the students are coming from. Absolutely. And, you know, Phil, fantastic. Uh, I, I'm really hearing how that empathy is, is kicking in with that relationship of learner and I'm going to say even coach at this stage because I do think, you know, when you have such a rich background with all the experience you've got, you do start to intuitively come into that sort of move or shift into a coaching approach. And this is something that you and I spoke 
in depth about. But in <coughs> fact, as well, you know, what you bring is, I, I think, the human approach, which is that anthropology kicking in as well, where there's this respect for the human, the holistic person sitting in front of us, plus the cultural backgrounds, the wealth of their uh, experience in life. And mm -hmm. just having that understanding is, is phenomenal. So I do want to say, wow, what an amazing um, background that you're bringing to the English learning industry. How do you think that right. English learning has changed for you in these last 20 years? Um, I, I think it's a personal thing. I mean, it's a personal road. So from learning um, the basics and doing the basic job at the beginning, um, slowly to developing your own style and your own approach, uh, I think that's very important. Yes. Um, in terms of change uh, within the profession, yes, I mean, we've seen the introduction of more IT. Um, that's been a very big um, side um, to it. Um, how has it changed? I think it's, it's the technology that's changed. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure completely on the side is very, very important, um, but I think it always has been for teachers with experience. I think as you um, develop your own style, your own way, and you grow into the profession, it's not just about teaching vocabulary and grammar and this. It's more and more um, an interpersonal reaction, relationship. Yeah. And I can't say that um, other teachers haven't been down the same road. I don't know on that one. Right. I would think a lot of people have. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know that with my colleagues, um, when I don't observe them teaching, but I do know that they are all very nice um, empathic, um, you know, very friendly with with um, clients when they come for lessons. And I think that's something um, you develop as a teacher over time. Yes. So I'm not really saying that that's a change within the profession. I think that's a change, a humanistic type change, that people um, develop. Their own personalities come out and use their own personalities within teaching. My own background has developed and formed me as a teacher, but everybody is different and everybody has their own personal background to the job. So yes. in terms of how it's changed, I think the technology's changed. Um, yeah, the teaching approach may be more um, the communicative aspect, um, teaching unplugged without materials and following a book you know, unit by unit and, and this style of teaching. Um, I, I think we've gone more down that road. Yes. The, the zero materials or the, the minimal use of materials or the use of more and more of what the students bring themselves. Yes. In, in their materials or in their own histories and personalities. Um, but I think that's something you develop naturally. I'm not sure like, I can say that people don't develop that. I think that is a natural progression. Yeah, and you know, there are two things that you've just said in, in, in that um, conversation there that I love. One is that we grow 
into the profession and I do think that's right you know the more that we do it the more that we experience it the more that we adapt and grow and the second thing that I loved and it's the first time I've ever heard it was that unplugged and, uh-huh. and you're so right you know the more that we adapt and we listen to what the client wants the client's needs and requirements the more unplugged we get yeah, it's all Scott Thornbury stuff. I love it, yeah. Yes, yes, and, and it's uh, spontaneity and, and really coming in, okay, where's your pain today? Let's go for it. Let's get in there. Yeah. And that's, exactly, yeah. that's, that's yeah. exactly what, for me, coaching is. And here we come to the next question, which, you know, what is language coaching for you? Um... What is language coaching for me? I think it is that humanistic approach. I mean, it's still... Um, I'm on the balance, I'd say, here. And I think the balance is also from my anthropology studies, where there is the humanistic side. That's very, very important. But there's also the scientific, the facts and figures side. Yes. I know um, with my personal blog, um, the postmodern guy and all this... Um, I've really emphasized through many of the individual blogs this humanistic side, but we can't ignore the science, the facts at the same time. Yes. I think there's still certain language rules. Um, you know, there is still structures that we, we need to get over, and it's getting that balance. Yeah. I'm always a yin and yang guy. It's not one or the other. It's always a mix for me of the two. Um, so language coaching, it, it is very much more going on that humanistic side, um, but I don't think we should forget the actual the theory behind that. Yeah, I totally um, agree. It's mixing the two and intuitively trying to get a balance there. Yeah. I'll give an, I'll give an example here, though. Please. Which I, I think... Uh, is one of my, my nice little examples. I started with a guy, a uh, sales rep um, with a big company. Um, first lesson, he came in and he said to me, oh, can we speak in French for the first five minutes? I need to explain something before we start. So I said, okay, okay, let's go for it. So for five minutes, he explained all his difficulties with speaking English and how he felt blocked and he, he couldn't get the language out. And I listened to him for about five minutes, and then I said, well, is it okay? Do you think we can switch to English? And he said, yes, 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 okay, okay. And he switched to English, and he continued for 20 minutes telling me about how he felt so blocked in his communication. And after 20 minutes, (laughs) I kind of went stopped and said, do you realize you've just been explaining for 20 minutes that you're blocked? And he stopped it. Oh, yes. So I have. And I said, well, what's the problem? And he said, well, oh, it's okay. It's just with you. So he felt, I mean, I could take that as a compliment or I could take that in the wrong way. Um, But it was nice that he automatically, somehow, we we clicked. Yes. And he felt at ease just to speak at a good intermediate level. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't perfect, but... You know, it was a good intermediate level, and he felt able just to speak and speak for 20 minutes. Yes. And then that was because it was with me. Not that I'm anyone 
special in that, but we were, it was an individual lesson. It was like a virtual reality, not the real world. Because then I think, okay, he can feel comfortable in speaking with me as an English teacher, but the most important thing is then, okay, how do we go down the road of trying to get him to feel comfortable in a business situation? Yes. In a sales meeting, in a negotiation, in an important telephone call. Yeah. And that became... So we'd got over instantly that, in, that, that block that he was experiencing. Yes, yeah. So it's, it's partly the intuition side, the, the humanistic side, and establishing good rapport. But I think we also have to be aware that the rapport we have with our students... It's not the real world, in a way. They're preparing them to leave our virtual realities um, of that little language session and then take it and go out into the big world. Yeah. And that's often the difficulty. Often, yes. And you're so right. You know, when we can get them in that safe brain, let's say, the brain is just rolling, and I always say the subconscious kicks in and that's it, they're rolling. They often don't Uh realise that they are capable of doing that, and they do that with us. And as Uh you say, it's about building up those strategies. Okay, how are we going to get you to do this when you're under pressure in that sales meeting or negotiating a multi-million job in English? Or in the language that they need. So yeah, that's, you're right. that's the, the challenge. Yeah, and that's that's where I think the coffee machine um, is great. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you're kind of in a no man's land in a way. You can go and have a, a talk with somebody at the coffee machine in English. Yes. And their colleagues are going past and getting coffees, and they can hear that person talking in English. Yeah. And at first, the the person may be a bit shy stepping out of the classroom yes. and speaking English, but it's a step. Absolutely. And it's all about finding those little steps. Yeah. So the final objective is to say, okay, we're there. Now you have your presentation, your business meeting, you know, step out of your comfort zone. Yes. <laughs> and uh, go and do it and tell me how you get on next week. Yes. Yes, yes. Normalizing the brain. It's almost, as you're saying it, I'm thinking about, you know, as children, you know, leaving school. And it's literally that scenario of our clients then leaving us to go out in the big wide world and and do it by themselves. So, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It can be be scary. And I know that myself from speaking French. My French isn't perfect. Um, I can get by okay. You know, I suppose I have a, like a C1 level in French, but it's it could be better. It's not after twenty, nearly twenty years in France. It should be um, completely natural. Um, but I don't always feel completely relaxed and comfortable in speaking French. Right, and, and I will play that sometimes with my students. I will speak bad French sometimes, just and make a joke of it to say that's okay. You know, nobody's perfect. It doesn't matter if I make mistakes. Look, my French is bad, so yes, <laughs> everyone can. Uh, make mistakes and improve and develop. And yep. You've just got to do it. Get on with it. Yep, absolutely. And um, I'm going to pick up as well, in, in what you were saying, you mentioned your blogs. Okay. And I have to say, you have the most amazing blogs. And, and 
I'm definitely going to make sure that the listeners have the link uh, with your bio uh, to uh, your blog page. And encourage everybody, because you, you really do even go into, and I love this, sort of the ancient philosophies, um, the, the neuroscience as well. I know that you're interested in that. And the whole sort of humanistic, anthropological aspects of, of us as humans. Uh-huh. And that, that comes out in your blog. So, well done. Well, I think that's important from my personal perspective, um, with the the idea of um, postmodernism, and I'm, I'm not—I mean, people may disagree with my term postmodernism. It's a technical, maybe um, an academic term, um, but my understanding of it is that a lot of the ideas of postmodernism are not really so modern. Right. A lot of the ideas actually go back to ancient Greece and pre-Socratic um, ways of looking at the world. Yeah. Um, they were picked up again. They, they kind of dropped after um, the Greeks discovered deductive reasoning and Aristotle, etc. And then, um, you know, and, until then we had the Enlightenment and this idea of scientific rationality and then the reaction against the rationality um, Kant's critique of pure reason and all of this, and that started then a, a reaction against the, the idea that everything's scientific, everything's rational. There's that other, more human side of yeah. uh, motivations and feelings and you know emotions, etc. Um, and that's developed into this postmodern side. Um, I mean, it, it's a massive subject, I know. Well, that's why I've been particularly interested on the ancients, um, because they, they are related to some of the more modern thinking um, in postmodernism. On mm. the other side, something like the phenomenology, um, which I do think is important. I mean, this important side of empathy, the way that we consider that experience colours our emotion. Yes. Colours how we see the world. So we're all, we've got things in common. We live in the similar environment, the similar world, but we're all, we've all experienced life differently. Absolutely. So it's trying to click in and forget our own way of looking at the world, stop our, our judgmental side yeah. and dropping all of that so we can try and click in on how the students are experiencing and seeing the world. And that's, in very brief, a definition of phenomenology. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that, that's, you know, as part of empathy and the symbiotic process and um, a dialogic process, um, I think that's very important. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you really... I think you've hit it on the head because as much as we're there saying to a, a learner, you're fantastic, don't be silly, you're, you're even, I can feel that you're doing this really well. If a, if a client or a student doesn't feel that, no matter how much we're saying that to them, it's not resonating with them. So I always say that, you know, empathy is about recognizing how they feel. You know, I can sense that you're really not feeling confident. And, you know, the question there is, how do we get you confident? Yeah. 
and recognize them and what they interpret the world as instead of flattening them down and yeah. giving our judgments. And you're totally right. Yeah, uh, that's building them up yes. in their confidence. Yes. Um, and I, I, I think on that, I've, I've thought for a long time that it's the students would teach for teachers. Absolutely. And that's a way. I mean, we have so much to learn from our students. Absolutely. And we have to drop this idea that we are teachers teaching. No, we're, we're teachers who are learning, I think. Yes. And the students have so much to teach us, and yep. that helps them realise um, that they, they do have something of importance, of interest, yep. uh, to give to us as teachers, and that then gets them on their own. That's right. That's right. I always say to, to learners, you know, you are the expert in your native language. Absolutely. And, and all, in their subjects. In their absolutely, in their yes. Worlds, and all, all, yeah. I'm, all I'm here to do is transfer that into another language. Uh, so, yes. absolutely, yes. Yes. But as you say, as you say, if, if they get on their roll, when I had somebody talking to me last week about flower arranging and the difference between flower arranging in Eng England and France, I didn't know there was a difference. Wow. <laughs> Is there? Apparently, in England, for roses, we like these old style roses in flower arranging that only have five or six petals. But in France, we like the big bushy roses. Wow. And that's something I learned. But this person, as she explained this, it was her passion. Yes. She was really into this and just got off on a roll yeah. in explaining all about this. And I thought, well, it's not business English, no, but it's letting her go, letting that language just escape. And, yes. You know, language is, is created through communication. Absolutely. communication, and yep. I, to me, I think she was developing language by doing that. So. Absolutely. You know, from the neuroscience side, I always say that when we get people into that subconscious mode, then they're in the flow. And, you know, yeah. all the big companies in the US, Google, Amazon, they're all intrigued by this state of creativity and, and flow from the subconscious. So, yes, language coming from there is, is phenomenal. Phenomenal. How do you think the language industry is going to change in the future? Yeah, so it's a $6 million question. Mm. How's it going to change? Um, well, I think it was interesting when we were in Romania and at Yash, and I think the presenter's name was Michael Carrier. Carrier. He gave a very good presentation um, showing the new technology that was coming in with artificial intelligence, virtual reality, all of this. Um, it's not just gadgets. I think those are useful um, devices that can be used in a, in a teaching context. Um, I, I think that's, that's one big part. I would like to see the, the humanistic side um, take off more um, be looked at in more detail, to be given more prominence, should I say, Yes. like that. Because I do think that's um, a really important part of um, teaching English, forming those relationships. Yeah. Um, but for me, most of my teachings, either individual or in small groups, I don't know how that really works for people who are teaching in groups of 30, 40 um, 
in, in that context, maybe it's more difficult to um, really form that personal rapport and empathy. Um, and maybe in that context, the technology that we saw in Romania would, would be more relevant. Right. Um, but I, I do think that's important. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm also interested in... Um, some kind of definition of, of where we are going. I mean, I think it's a big question, where is it going? Yes. Um, and one, one of my latest blogs on the fourth industrial revolution, um, I, I, I do think it's important. We, we are at this brink of a new stage in global development, global globalization, and English language has played such a big role yeah. in the past in um, the business world globalization and I think it needs to be looked at um, not just as something that's happening out there but something that we are part of right I think there was, was a tendency to stand back and look at it you know we, we look at the blog we the blogs the, the internet sites and see the new technology developments and the important thing with this new industrial revolution, the fourth, um, the idea of how we're going to embed social values within this, that's great, 100% with that. Where does teaching English stand? What role is it going to play? Because there are millions of us. Yes. Yeah. We've had an influence before in the globalization process through the English language. Where are we going? What's, what's, you know, what's the English language teaching? How is it going to be involved in this next stage? And I think that's something that needs to be examined and discussed. Yeah, and, you know, somehow, um, Phil, I also think that we um, in the language industry also need to be promoting other languages. You know that it's not only about English in the globalised world, but there are other languages that, you know, we sure. need to encourage people to learn. And I do think as well we need to encourage people not to stop at learning one language. We now sure. know uh, lifelong learning, lots of languages are going to open uh -huh. many more doors. Sure. I know you're a linguist. I am. I am. I am. <laughs> so, yes, you'd promote that. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Yes. But yeah. so much to learn. You know, I mean, I, yes. I would... Uh, as much as it's good to learn any other language, I think it's also good to learn another musical instrument. Oh, I know. And I know that you're a fantastic guitarist. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't played for a while, really, because I've had a very bad shoulder. Right. For about 10 months now, I've had a, a frozen shoulder. Um, so it's very difficult to play guitar. But I think there's um, a lot of connections between music and language learning. Absolutely. Yes, I sound. do know some people that will um, often use music in the background in lessons um, yeah. to help stimulate those parts of the brain that may not be getting stimulated otherwise. Absolutely. Yes. So, yeah. Well, I know, Phil, that we could be here all day uh, going into <laughs> anthropology. You know I did a human rights degree, so I'm also fascinated with that humanistic side and how we can really bring that respect for each other and that real seeing people as a holistic 
uh, human mm -hmm. and not just parts and what we judge, etc. So definitely we could be here all day. However, I'm very grateful to you. Thank you so much because there's a lot of interesting, interesting comments there for our listeners to think about. So thank you, Phil. It's been a great pleasure, Rachel. And to the listeners, thank you so much for, for being there today uh, with me and with Philip. And do connect for the next interview. And again, somebody totally different, somebody with a, a different sort of uh, perspective and different background telling us what is language coaching. See you all next time. Bye. Bye.